This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. But he has, he has so much to gain and has such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the truth facts come above our to the and I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? Don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Now these people are in very high position, Jack. Yes. We're back now, so let's move on. We have three more questions. I think we can make it. Do you want to read this? Oh, wait. Yeah, you read right. this yep. one. Sorry, I keep forgetting that I'm even. Okay, so Loich asks, um, what are some Chinese intelligence ops you're aware of, or just psyops? The subject is rarely covered outside the Red Scare scope, and I'm sure there are plenty. Yeah, I'm also sure that there are plenty, certainly just of intelligence ops in general, uh, beyond yeah. psyops. I, mean, I think it's something we haven't talked about a ton on the Chinese side. It's popped up occasionally. I think in the in Contra 5 victory, we did talk a little bit about yeah. how the Soviets and the Chinese were kind of psyoping each other with various like radio stations on the borders that were well, both yeah, the Chinese appealing were like, to the other side. Well, they were saying like we're better to Muslims. In Central Asia. Yeah, they yeah, were psyoping yeah, exactly. the Muslims saying we are better than Russia towards, yeah. you know, Islam. Uh, mm-hmm. both sides were, yeah. And that was, like, kind of yeah, in collusion exactly. with the U.S. on China's part. Um, yeah, when yeah. Bill Casey and the head of Chinese intelligence, like, got drunk together in Beijing and, like, decided they were going to, like, kill the Soviets together. Yeah. Uh, dungest. Anyways, um, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, but yeah, there is actually you you found some literature uh, that goes into like Chinese psyops, and I guess there yeah. are you know other example. I found a whole military paper from two thousand three on like new advanced new developments in Chinese strategic psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did, what did you find yeah, that's about this? I mean, a lot of the stuff that I found that was like in like American journals of like military studies or like strategic studies and things like that. It's interesting because. I found it funny how, and I mean, I guess in a way China is like an old culture and they do themselves like have a sensibility of their cultural past and they also like invoke their tradition, uh, the Chinese tradition Mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways. But I did find it funny how like all of these papers like are always like going back to Sun Tzu, like Chinese people have always used psychological warfare. It's like, (laughs) all right, like they all uh, do it. Yeah, yeah, it always has to start like in the midst of history. Anyway, yeah, like um, what is known today as psychological warfare was called War of Attacking the Heart in Chinese history as far back as the Jia Shang Tzu period 
in 2070 BC. <laughs> like that's like <laughs> how far back this is starting, you know, which you wouldn't really necessarily see about most other uh, cultures and their usage of psychological warfare. Uh, true, you, like you true. wouldn't try to describe something in such a long durée perspective. You'd have to go to like Otto Rahn to be like uh, <laughs> the Jehovah Psyop has been yeah, waged exactly. for the last 3,000 years. Unfolding, you know? yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's like a hindrance to some of this stuff. I mean, I was going to say, we really need to get someone on the show who like speaks Chinese because just like even reading these Chinese words, I'm like, you know, am I saying these even right? Uh, so it would be good to have someone who actually like can read or speak Chinese, like who can, uh, you know, uh, do some material like this because having to go off of English or uh, even, you know, the languages that we, we can read, uh, there's, you know, uh, an issue with the kind of cultural bias. There is... Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, one paper that I found in translation that's like kind of articulating uh, Chinese military strategy in sort of an elaborate way. It has to do with the sort of the three warfares, which is their... Mm -hmm the PLA, sort of a, an official policy of theirs. Uh, it's um, like their official uh, pre-kinetic warfare strategy. Um, okay. And uh, this was translated by a, uh, a group probably affiliated with the, with the U.S. military. But again, maybe we can assume that it was, it was translated somewhat accurately there. Um, what was the name of this document? Science of Military Strategy. Not a very memorable or uh, interesting title, but... Yeah, there were some interesting oh, yeah, parts that are written in a in an interesting kind of like translation-y jargon that, that is, is uh, fun to read. They write about information warfare. Informationization has fundamentally changed the mechanism of gaining victory in war. Uh, Zhang Zhang Zhang. The political goal of war is to force the enemy to submit to one's own will. The military goal of war is to preserve oneself while annihilating the enemy. Mao Zedong once pointed out that to annihilate the enemy is to disarm the enemy, that is, to deprive the enemy of resistance strength and not to completely annihilate his physical flesh. In traditional war, in order to achieve the political goal and the military goal while limited by war means, one takes eliminating the enemy's vital strength, Yu Shang Li Liang, and attriting Xiao Hao, the enemy's material foundation as basic approaches to deprive the enemy of resistance capabilities. Because attrition is reciprocal, while attriting the enemy, one is also attriting oneself. And one might even be forced to drop the pursuit of victory due to one's uh, own attrition, or to give up because the attrition one undertakes is too much compared to the strategic objective pursued. A powerful country could afford to attrite material and energy, but not afford to attrite lives and will. It cannot afford to attrite economic and military strengths. I'm sorry, it could afford to do that, but it could not afford to attrite politics and reputation. With a continuous increase in the degree of inform informationization of the war, one will be able to attain victory in war without massively annihilating the enemy's vital strengths, and will be able to realize the goal of war through controlling and paralyzing the enemy Tishi systems to make the enemy lose its integrated whole resistance capability. New changes in the mode of war, uh, Zhang Zhang Feng Shi, have nurtured new mechanisms for gaining victory. Centers of gravity in enemy Tishi systems, including uh, leadership institutions, command and control centers, and information hubs, Xinxi uh, Sun Yu, have become primary targets and attacks. Strategic campaign and tactical activities are blended into one to achieve uh, direct strategic goals through precision strikes against vital site targets, in particular targets of opportunity. Asymmetrical, non-contact, and non-linear operations are extensively implemented to conduct synchronous strikes against targets in all depths 
leaving the enemy no room and no time to adjust and adapt, and physical strikes and psychological shock and awe are combined together so as to increase the intensity of psychological shock and awe with physical strikes and to expand the effect of physical strikes with psychological shock and awe. Compared to the traditional mechanism of gaining victory by annihilating the enemy and attriting the enemy, the mechanism of gaining victory in informationized wars by controlling the enemy and paralyzing the enemy is much closer to war's original goal. Uh, which I find to be as an interesting idea that, like, you know, we're going back to the, the original object of war. Mm-hmm. The rapid development of new media, as represented by the Internet, has made the right of speech become yet another form of expression of seizing and holding the initiative in local war under informationized conditions. This is an interesting section. Whether the right of speech can be controlled not only will have a bearing on whether a good national image can be established to win sympathy and support, from international society, but also will have a bearing on whether the military can maintain the domestic masses' attitude of support for war and safeguard the political foundation for domestic brace support for war. In the Iraq War, the U.S. military and its operational units arranged for a large number of embedded correspondents to track and report on the progress of the war. The -the on-the-spot reports from the battleground correspondents on one hand reflected the highly efficient operational capability of the U.S.-British Joint Forces and produced... Uh, they have in brackets shock and awe, uh, but I guess they only wrote awe, in the enemy and potential opponents. On the other hand, they revealed the so-called humanitarianism within the U.S.-British Joint Forces operations, which concealed the injustice of their launching the war, to a certain extent weakened the sense of disgust of the U.S. generated among the world's people due to the war, and also laid a certain popular foundation for post-war reconstruction. The right of speech plays a role in information, belief, thought, Xinji process, and the contention for the right of speech in war must lay stress on the synthetic application of public opinion warfare, legal warfare, and psi-war slash psyop. In local war under future informationized conditions, these quote-unquote three warfare activities must be adapted to political and diplomatic struggle. This will require energetically propagandizing the situation related to political and diplomatic activity, Guodong, in political respects seeking the sympathy and support of international society, and in diplomatic respects gaining the initiative and superiority in order to provide forceful brace support for supporting all operational activities. Based on the general operational intent, this means the need to focus on bringing into play the maximum ex- to the maximum extent the effects of military activities and selecting the corresponding quote-unquote three warfares mode. Sometimes this will require concealing the operational intent and require public opinion propaganda emphasizing making a feint in one direction while actually attacking in another. And at other times, this will require expanding the effects after the military strikes and special operations, i.e. stressing the scope and intensity of the propaganda. Via three warfare's activities, the influence of our possible and just underway military activities is fully enlarged, weakened, and shifted, causing them to have a powerful psychological deterrent force against enemy officers and men, and achieving the effect of yielding twice the result with half the effort. So that's some of the wow. writing on uh, the, you know, the importance of, of war that they've done, kind of applying the lessons they've learned from the study of other countries, the U.S. as well as Russia, um, throughout this document. Yeah. Yeah. I can just see like the steam like <laughs> pouring out of the ears of like the Epoch Times newsroom right now, like yeah. hearing all that, like, oh my God, like yeah, Jesus. For sure. The CCP motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it, it almost goes without saying that I, I believe uh, definitely the United States uses all three planks of this oh, kind yeah. of paradigm in their actions. They definitely use psychological warfare, media warfare, and legal warfare. And yeah, they were talking about the second Gulf War, the second Iraq War, right? Um, um, in that 
thing you read? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they analyzed both. I took it as the Iraq War, but uh, you know, the, the more well, yeah, the, you know, the, I mean, the se- I mean, the Second Iraq War, because yeah, they yeah. mentioned how how reviled it was, like around the world, which the first Gulf War was like not as reviled. But mm-hmm. in the paper I found, because it was written, I think, just in 2003, they were mostly talking about like them studying the Gulf yeah. War and this stuff. So I mean, they've been 13, I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So, I mean, they've been watching us, I think yeah. it's safe to say. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it almost sounds, honestly, I think everybody's kind of on the, this tip these days, but caught a lot of Mind War vibes in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think in a certain sense, Aquino was uh, a kind of uh, a little bit ahead of the curve in describing the centrality of psyops in the information age like uh, conducting warfare in the information age the psyops are not a tangential concern they are central plank yeah. strategy and yeah i mean china has been i think you can see it i mean sometimes when we think about psyops we think of discrete events that are psyops that you know people try to push on us yeah but i don't know when i fir- when i try to think about china i feel like it's more I don't know. I'm sure there are specific psyops that are happening, but yeah, also sure. I feel like it's more of a just a psyop uh, environment that they're kind <laughs> of building yeah. in a certain kind of way. And in some respects, they are. It's like maybe a little bit more pervasive, but less like in your face, like trying to psyop you kind of thing. Like I mean, obviously they're news like agencies. Relatively discreet psyop programs. I mean in the way that like, yeah, there's like ongoing psyop campaigns. You can definitely draw like in comparison like between like, you know, trying to make Philippine villagers believe there's an Aswang like attacking or something and like the mm-hmm. general sort of psyop campaign of like dropping leaflets or whatever. You know, there's a there's a distinction to be drawn there or like sort of pro- like sub projects of MK Ultra versus MK Ultra itself, you know, so you can definitely draw a distinction. I'm sure there is are going those are going on. We wouldn't necessarily know like what they what they were uh, at the present moment. But yeah, well, but if I history, had, you know like, what? Yeah. Um, you know what? Yeah. You know what, though? What? If I had to take a stab and take a wild guess right now. I think there is a specific psyop they're doing right now. Oh, you've um, uh, I think it's COVID called the zero stuff. COVID policy. Yeah, <laughs> yes. What the hell is that all about? Okay, um, I mean, so we had it. We haven't talked about COVID in a while, but apparently, if you go over to China, it's like still mid ass twenty twenty over there, and it is highly conspicuous the level to which they are claiming that they're going to shut down like the entire economy. I think there was some newspaper maybe in Beijing in the last week that where some some article said that, you know, we're preparing for like a five year, basically embarking on like a five year plan of zero COVID. And then people got very angry and they like deleted the five year part out of it. But it's just like, I wonder and okay, maybe PSYOP, I think there might be more layers to it than just it's a PSYOP. But I feel like that is an it's an interesting case study of I feel like the way that situation is being managed, there's more strategic dimensions to it than just like Xi Jinping and the Politburo really care about zero COVID. And they, because it is not really supported by like science. I I think we could all agree that like zero COVID, like it imposes such a heavy cost on the normal operations of like the economy and society 
to go as hard as they did. It was more understandable when they did it in like February 2020. But now, seeing how it's played out all around the world and the fact that I don't think their vaccines like prevent transmission or prevent reinfection and things like that. So they're kind of stuck in the same boat where we are, where it's like you can get all the boosters you want. You'll just keep getting COVID like as if you it's like whether you get the boosters or not, you're still going to get COVID. So in a sense, it's like, what's the point of, you know, I could understand if like staying at home like made COVID go away, but it's clearly like, that's not how it's played out and yeah. it's just floating I mean, I around everywhere. Like they have had more success with it. Uh, but again, they have a very different culture than we have here in the United States or even that they have in Europe. Like, I mean, we never really had like a lockdown by the Chinese definition here ever, but like, well, no, no, no. Really. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, but, we didn't have it on that level, but also like la- in like 2020 and 2021, you're right. Assuming those numbers are like roughly accurate, they, they did kind yeah, of stop yeah. it in its tracks. And other parts of the country were able to kind of get back to normal. And it, you know, but then Omicron came. It's like they were dealing with like COVID 1.0. Once it got to COVID 3.0, it is like so infectious. And because they had set the standard of like if like three people get COVID, in a city of 20 million people, entire city gets locked down. (laughs) And, you know, that was maybe, maybe more understandable back when we didn't know as much about the virus or how deadly it was. And all these other uncertainties were clouding everything. But then to do it this year in 2022, when we do know so much more and it seems almost inevitable that like, Hey, this is going to rip through the country like more or less. And you could, stop it but at that point if if the virus becomes endemic throughout the entire world and there's just like no running from it what good does it gain you to keep your economy locked down for like five years unless maybe i wonder you know we have all these issues this year with the supply chain with you know energy prices with inflation all these disruptions there's a war in ukraine and i don't know i'm like deeply speculating right now like out of my ass but it makes me wonder like if they did want to sort of turn off the tap of manufacturing exports for some bigger strategic like geopolitical reason they could use it seems because they have enough power to do this they could use the oh no like as somebody at the shenzhen port like got covid we need to shut down all international shipping for six weeks yeah. And then oh shit, like like nobody in America is like getting their normal goods and stuff that would be coming over there. The cost of, you know, shipping freighters is like skyrocketing and it's like totally disrupting because we moved. That was part of our dirty little deal that George H.W. Bush and Bill Casey and the Rockefellers and everybody worked out in the 70s and 80s of moving our entire industrial capacity to China. Yes. And, you know, I mean, that does uh you know, give them quite a bit of leverage, you know, um, in a certain kind of sense. So if they turn off the manufacturing capacity, then I don't know. It just seems a little bit like there's something off, like either, like I, I don't buy that the Politburo in China and like Xi Jinping and his leadership are, I don't know, like COVID terrified, like your average, like American that like worships Fauci. I don't think they're like that night. I think they're more, 
I would like to think they're more realistic than that. But then, I don't know, is it kind of thing of like, you don't want to change course, so you're doubling down, so you never have to say you were wrong. But I feel like they could just, they have enough authority that they could just change course and be like, we've evaluated it, now we're changing course. And like, people would more or less be okay with it. In yeah, fact, it I seems mean, like a lot I of people don't like, like they what have, they're doing right now. Yeah, I think it is unpopular with the middle class. I mean, then again, mm-hmm. like so was like the one child policy that they had for 36 years. So like having zero COVID. Is Which uh, talk about psyops. Um, that would do you, re- do you know that it was the World Bank that kind of like bullied them into adopting the one child policy in exchange for like opening up to Western capital and markets? Yeah, I remember there being, like, a sort of foreign influence, but I didn't know that it was, like, you know, that they were, like, you know, it was extorted from them. Uh, it, it was heavily pressured. I'd have to read more about, like, the specifics of it, but as from the, the stuff, the little stuff that I've read, it was, because this was at the peak of, like, the, like, the population bomb and, like, the Club of Rome and, like, everyone in the 70s right, in the yeah. West, all these el- sicko elites, like, suddenly started being like, there's too many people on Earth, right? you know, and, like, started talking about how we need to limit. And so th- what they said, they came up with a bunch of, like, academic m- or economic mumbo-jumbo bourgeois pseudoscientific bullshit about how like China would be doomed if they did not implement a one child policy immediately for a number of years and and because of the demographic bomb that awaited China western companies and the IMF and the World Bank and everybody else would probably not consider it prudent to invest in them if they weren't going to solve this problem so you know once Deng got in and cool girl Zheng Xing was, you know, thrown in jail and yada, yada, yada. They implemented this. It's funny. You think about it as like, I think if you talk to a kind of like a Tucker right wing kind of anti-China, you know, conservative person today, they would sort of, they would sort of like the cult of personality made them. Yeah. Like now, now declared it that you can only have one Um, child. Like, like the, the, it's the most tanky, the most tanky fucking policy that ever existed is like, you can only have one child. And like, if you have more, you have to go get an abortion. Ha ha ha. You know? And it's just like, that's, I think how it's looked on today is like, look at these evil communists, like blah, blah, blah. But no, it's like, actually, it was the westernizer. It was the liberal that implemented this very draconian policy. Well, I'm sure and it actually would be okay with that as well. <laughs> yeah, he was like, they came up with it together. Um, that would be his <laughs> twist on it, maybe. But yeah, um, and you know, I'm and not to like stand. I'm not standing she uh, necessarily, but you know, he has been. He often gets criticized as like the evil tanky Maoist that's like taking China back into the dark ages, and like he's cracking down on free enterprise, but he. He's the one that ended the one-child policy, I think, well, seven or eight years ago. Because it became apparent that, like, the whole overpopulation thing was, like, not legitimate. They had bought yeah. into it. Um, yeah, they bought it. They got psyoped, you know? Yeah. I, I think they definitely got psyoped by that. And, I mean, it, it, with that kind of incentive being dangled in front of you of, like, you can... This whole plan, it sounds like, wouldn't have maybe gone through... If China had not made this deal with uh, the devil, you know, to I mean, do yeah, this one and also, thing. like, I mean, it's interesting that, like, yeah, it will be China that would have to implement this policy to save us all from, like, this, you know, crisis of overpopulation. But well, there's just so many of you. Well, exactly. Right? Like, like, but that thing, does change yeah. the calculus. I think that changes the calculus on the COVID thing as well. Like, how, like, many people there are in China, <laughs> like, you know, compared to any other 
country in the world. Like, well, there are. So it's a, it almost seems counterproductive because, again, a stereotype about China would be like human life matters so much less <laughs> there. You know, that kind of shit. Like, uh-huh. like, didn't we hear like people say that in China when we were there years ago? It was like, you understand. Like, maybe human life maybe has some like expat less told about, us that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some like know. weird, you know, yeah. Like expats said that. Uh, and uh, but at the same time. It's like two people get COVID in a huge city. They shut down the entire fucking city for like a month. And like that seems like, oh, for a society that is willing to let a few people die because there's so many of them and individual lives like matter less and all that stuff. They seem to be like very on the ball and almost like hyper vigilant. If like one person or like two, I mean, I guess you could say, well, if it spreads to a couple people, it, then it's going to spread to lots of people because there are a lot of people there, especially in the cities. And then you have a big problem. You don't have a problem of individuals having COVID. You have 30,000, 50,000 people. But still, it's like, I don't know, it's just something doesn't kind of add up about it. And I do believe they are quite sophisticated. We don't really get, I mean, unless you want to believe that like Biden is like controlled by China because he's like blackmailed China with Biden. Hunter's laptop yeah, or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, China Biden. Uh, unless you want to go that route, like I would say we don't we don't get exposed so much to Chinese quote unquote propaganda. Like it might pop up every now and then. I mean, also, I mean, if you would do want to talk about kind of a psyop and like a kind of Hollywood sense, you know, check out the Chinese blockbuster Wolf Warrior 2. Yeah. That's a pretty good example of like the three warfares I mean, kind of attitude. Also, I will say uh, TikTok is not a, an unfair candidate for Chinese PSYOP. That's not unfair at all. <laughs> yeah. No, totally fair. Totally um, fair. I mean, got like talk about beating the devil at his own game. Like we created these like social media platforms, but there's something about TikTok that is like so much more addicting and engrossing and like that's, it's created a whole, almost like a generation gap, like between I think like Zoomers and like somewhere between Zoomers and millennials where like you just feel kind of like I, like I'm old, like I don't understand this shit, like that kind no, of thing. No, I don't. There yeah, are older people on TikTok too. I barely got into Twitter, honestly. <laughs> like I barely like managed to jump off the sinking ship of Facebook, and honestly, for the worst, probably. I wish that I had just like aged out completely of social media, but you know, yeah, definitely TikTok. I haven't been able to. Uh, comprehend really though it's interesting that like it's not like as much as like maybe a Tucker would like want this to be the case that it's not like you all Americans are like getting ads uh, on like TikTok that are like love China like (laughs) like, China is great you know it's not like it's like China kind of stays out that's what I mean like they're not very upfront and like trying to like be in your face like america's much sure more brazen with its psyops like to all the data of people on TikTok. that's it it's it's much more subtle and yeah. like they're finding ways to figure out how to predict what we're going to do next and what motivates us and they're doing everything that like the silicon valley companies are doing you know collecting that data you know to try to predict and control and manage things so yeah i'm sure they're very busy especially right now I mean, with all the stuff going on in the world. When you mentioned COVID, I was going to bring up the even more obvious PSYOP, which is like concealing the origin of COVID, which, although not entirely of Chinese origin, they definitely had something to do with. And they also like concealed the sort of virulence and the extent of COVID early on, I think as well. 
I think you're right. Yeah, it's it, it's it, more it, once it got at it. Media manipulation than like a military a psychological warfare type thing, but still, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it could also be a reaction to that. Could have been like a management sort of psyop yes. because uh, Doctor Fauci and his like DARPA team like <laughs> fucking unleashed a combat virus like in Wuhan to like make it look like they did it, and so they had to be very careful to be like you know I mean if they had come out and been like this is America's fault. Uh, some people might have listened to them, but everyone's going to be like, okay, yeah, but like the lab was in your country. Yeah. Like convenient of you to say that, yeah, blah, were, blah, blah. They, they would have been on a defensive like, crouch. Com- they were complicit. They couldn't have just been like, this is America's, without taking themselves down. Too. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, th- which makes me think there was the some level of like partnership there, maybe just designed to like get some Chinese fingerprints on it so that it would be, they would be too complicit to ever blow the whistle. And then they just have to go along with like the Bill yeah. Gates op, you know, and, and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that that is definitely a big one. I mean, I think they could have done probably the world a favor on a number of fronts by any time over the last like two plus years of uh, maybe being a little more upfront about how the hell this virus like came into being in the first place. They, they've taken kind of the tack of, uh, we got our official story. Like we're not talking about it. Like we're, we're not opening that can of worms and stuff, which allows like the sort of global other aspects of like the global COVID psyop to like rage, you know, more powerfully. Which kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean... Not the biggest fan of that. I also, like, I think that maybe when they say, like, that COVID is going to continue for five years, they don't mean, like, the strictest lockdown thing, but just, like, having kind of a... You know, they love five-year plans, and they They might have, like, a five-year plan for, like, continuing to manage COVID. Like, you know, it might have been lost in translation in some way. But, I mean, again, it does make sense because whatever you want to say about China, it is true that they... uh, the government is uh, like they don't necessarily have the same uh, principles as, you know, like uh, some of the things that were happening in the U.S. that people flipped. Like if people in the U.S., if the U.S. government did what the Chinese government does in response to COVID, people would be having a complete meltdown, <laughs> you know, like. It's, oh, my God. No, know, it wouldn't fly here. It w- yeah, different culture, yeah. which is not bad, but just is how it is. So it's not totally surprising in a way that they like you know are more at home in that kind of environment it's less of a leap for them to kind of fall fall back on that kind of approach than it would be for like us or even like a european country probably yeah to definitely go like really hard yeah lockdown um you found something else in terms of like specific psyops about this like church in india (laughs) this chinese christian cult yeah so one uh thing that i did notice that i felt like was kind of sj adjacent or kind of in an sj line was one you know one group of of uh people who i've noticed or one sort of a discourse that's uh, very vigilant about uh, Chinese psyops I've noticed is uh, the Indian media or certain uh, segments <laughs> of the Indian media. It's very uh-huh. concerned about uh, Chinese uh, psychological operations or psychological warfare unfolding in India, particularly mm-hmm. around, uh, yeah, this this uh, group, the Church of the Almighty God, also known as Eastern Lightning, that has, uh, <laughs> you know, w- w- they're actually banned in China because they committed, like, a lot of, like, weird uh, criminal acts, like kidnapping a bunch of Christians uh, like 32 Christians fuck? in one day. Um, this is, I mean, this is giving me like a uh, Falun Gong, like CIA cult vibes, basically. Yeah. So yeah. they, yeah, they seem like a CIA cult. 
uh, or something like that. But, you know, and the, the U.S. has, like, kind of reported, I guess, on their, uh, you know, their suppression and, and things like that and how they've been mistreated by they've China They've been persecuted. But, yeah, the Indian take they were, on it is that they're okay. being now, like, deployed by China, I guess. Wow. To, uh, like, other countries to, like, cause disruption. I mean, India in general. Wait, so they, like, they've they've managed to maybe, like, turn, a, like, a CIA Christian cult that was, like, made to be, like, anti-China and got kicked out. Like, they've managed to, like, turn it back into, like, a pro-China like, <laughs> well, cult. Maybe, like, yeah. Or, well, I mean, they have basically, like, gotten it out of China, but now it's spread elsewhere. And I'm not sure, like, who's handling this cult, if anyone at this point. But yeah. from the point of view of like these, uh, you know, Indian reporters a lot of the time, you know, they're concerned about about China. They have an interesting spin on it where, I mean, of course, these Hindu people, uh, these Hindu right wingers um, mm-hmm. that uh, it's in Nagaland, I guess, that they're really, uh, you know. Yeah, sur- Nagaland. Land, uh, that they're, uh, they're, they're perched up in. Oh, the Naga. That's the, uh, yeah, uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army symbol. Oh, interesting. The Phoenix symbol. Oh, hmm. really? Yeah, when it was Where does it say here that they've been turned like back into like a pro-China force though? Well, it doesn't uh, say that they were ever like the the CIA cult is not or the CIA element is not something that they bring up. But what they uh, do suggest is that it's a like you know a, a China aspect or taking advantage of their democratic values. You know that's a that's a common theme. I feel like in in the Indian media that like. Oh, by being democratic and like being secular and not just being Hindu fascist, we're allowing ourselves to be taken advantage of by these Abrahamic people. So, uh-huh. yeah, that's a that's a that's a big theme in the in the. But I mean, like, where does it say here that the cult has been co-opted by communist China? Because well, everything I'm reading in this article says that like all they do is like rage against like the Chinese Communist Party and do like Falun Gong stuff and like try to recruit cult people like cult members in India. Yeah, that's uh, and they're, one they're of just articles, saying like this other one from yeah the one frightening faith I feel like has a more like sort of level headed yeah that's the on one it. I'm reading yeah oh, okay there's a more hysterical at, uh, one psychological operations colon is the dragon winning uh, by Major <laughs> General P uh, Rajagopal this is where his he, he has this type of take. Uh, Wait, give me the link to that. Into Eastern Ladakh have once again brought to fore the employment of psychological operations as an integral part of China's expansionist policies. PSYOPs are a planned use of propaganda and other means to influence the behavior of foreign governments, organizations, groups, and individuals in a peculiar manner. Such propaganda is generally intended to demoralize the enemy, break his will to fight or resist, and sometimes to render him favorably disposed to one's position. It is well known but often forgotten that PSYOPs are an important part of Chinese war strategy. China penetrates target countries through a wide array of methods, which include human and technological means. The most commonly used technique is to identify weaknesses or issues within the target audience and exploit these to their advantage so the target country is unsettled as it is embroiled in its own internal problems. Freedom of speech, a characteristic of democratic countries, is used as a weapon against them. I mean, they did say that, so that's true. Uh, Perceived religious intolerance within society, exploiting minority causes, fueling anti-government agitations, fomenting trouble along border districts by supporting insurgent groups, like what China has been doing in the Northeast for years and even on Myanmar borders, are all issues exploited by China to weaken or pressurize target countries. China practices Goebbels' dictum, repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. (laughs) Sun Tzu had also emphasized the significance of defeating the enemy's strategy without using physical force. Uh, manipulating the information environment is central to outwitting one's enemy. 
Uh, this is a great line. The word morality is missing from the Chinese dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so blah, blah, blah. Wow. they go on. They talk about they TikTok, don't have a word chat, for it. hello, hack and leak operations. Uh, mm-hmm. Beijing's higher goal is to make the world suitable for the Chinese Communist Party's hegemony across the world. Uh, he says the current crisis in Ladakh, China, has been conducting their psyops at different levels. China has assessed that in the present divided political environment, India will find it difficult to publicly acknowledge Chinese intrusions into disputed areas, unilaterally changing the alignment of the line of actual control, LAC, to their advantage. To admit this would definitely cause a serious dent in the much-vaunted image of a strong nationalist government. Their Saiwa, or strategy, is suitably adapted. They have been conducting it under different themes at different levels. Let's look at these. The first theme was to put the blame on India and by constant repetition to make it look true for the target audience in India and the rest of the world. Taking advantage of India's initial hesitation to pin it down even after the Galwan incident, China was quick to reissue a series of official statements blaming India, naming it as the aggressor. According to China, the Galwan clash took place due to an overreaction of the Indian troops, breaking the peace and tranquility agreements which India needed to investigate. How cleverly the truth has been manipulated. The onus has always been on India to work with China to resolve the problem. The more recent statements claim that China has completed this engagement process in most areas while in the LAC, while on the ground. PLA continues to be well entrenched in disputed areas like Depsang, Gogarhat Springs, and Pangong So. The second theme was to keep the threshold level to manageable levels. All right. The continuous strategic mm-hmm. messaging has been aimed at reducing anti-China sentiments by messages of peace, conveying that the problems of the border are not serious and can be solved by mutual talks. India and China being two ancient civilizations are partners and not rivals, and their bilateral relations have withstood the test of time. Hence, trade and commerce should have no links with the border situation. The Chinese projection of normalcy with India is a suggestion that India must accept the PLA's aggression and move on with trade and other diplomatic dialogue. Gaslight the theme uh, is the wolf oh, warrior is, yeah. messaging for <laughs> India and the rest of the world. See, there yeah, you go. That is a country which is ready to go to war, projecting Xi Jinping as a strong man and issuing a directive to the PLA to prepare for war. At the military level, the constant friction of PLA strength and strong deployment of the Army and Air Force along the LAC sought to convey that any offensive action by India would be dealt with strongly. A barrage of propaganda ranging from news regarding PLA's capability of swift movement of well-trained and acclimatized troops to the Indian borders to a steady stream of reports with a mix of fact and myth of the deployment of an array of high-altitude advanced weapons, attack helicopters, and fighter aircraft. There were misleading reports about a buildup in the Gilgit Baltistan, projecting a two-front threat and even exaggerated claims of naval capabilities. A survey released by the infamous Global Times states that 30 percent, sorry, 90 percent of the respondents would support if Beijing were to act militarily on India's provocation. Even a thousand miles away, who affronts China will will pay. <laughs> um, yeah. So then he talks about the Church of the Almighty God. Trying to disturb peace, create divisions. Oh, practices. and no, don't d- yeah. don't forget here. He says there were also reports of huge money laundering and hawala transactions through shell entities. No, no. okay, they're, they're running the Muslims. Yeah. Recently, certain arrests have brought out the Chinese have been running a spy ring and bribing monks to get information on the Dalai Lama. Honestly, like critical support. More disturbing news has come of a Chinese cult called Church of Almighty God, banned in China, operating in Nagaland, trying to disturb the peace and create divisions in religious practices. This is an example of misusing the positive elements of the target country's culture to create dissensions within it. Huh. So it's like even though they're like an anti-China cult, it's still China's fault. 
Yeah, well, I feel like maybe they are Chinese people, and from a certain uh, Hindu fascist perspective, because they are Chinese, they must like. Be, I see they're loyal. Yeah, they. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've honestly, I've seen articles they just like that. Hate the, anything yeah. like it, even if they were just like normie Christians, they'd probably pissed off. Honestly, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Wow, this guy is really triggered by the wolf warrior messaging and. Yeah, he's mad. The sneaky psyops and everything else. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is a. Uh, this is a tense that ma- Major General P. Rajagopal retired, was a paratrooper in Ladakh at various levels. Okay, in the Daily Guardian. Wow, okay, so he's he's staying vigilant against the Chinese, I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, uh, you're ontologically Chinese if you're, like, Chinese and yeah, you're... Well, I, I was going to say... Um, I was going to say that, like, I've seen almost, like, a, a subtler form of that argument in like concern trolling New York Times articles about how like hmm, it is interesting you know that like every Chinese person if they come to the United States to study like they could be called upon at any time but like a Chinese intelligence operative to like too. steal things yeah, yeah it's right. just like I just think we should be like mindful <laughs> of and I'm saying we should like you know there's like 500,000 Chinese students in the US. I'm not saying they're all like spies but like uh, you know, and saying like basically, if like if they refuse to cooperate, they'll be like, oh, "I'm gonna kill all your family back in like Shanghai if you don't do this." Like, of course, they're like are all sickos, and like all their family will be sent to gulag or something if like they don't do whatever they want. And uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there are operatives at various points, various sectors of American society. Yeah. But once again, they're very low key, like they're subtle. And, like, I mean, didn't, like, Eric Swalwell, that douchebag congressman from Silicon Valley, like, wasn't he having an affair with, this is, like, a big Fox News thing, but wasn't he having an affair with some Chinese woman who was either, like, his driver or, like, a fundraiser or something, and then she, like, disappeared and went back to China, and it's like, oh, she was probably a spy, you know, or so. Uh, or I think it was, like, Chi- Diane Feinstein's, like, limo driver was maybe, like, a Chinese spy or something, and it's like, that's the kind of stuff they do sometimes and apparently they were like the, this alleged spy was involved with like multiple democrats yeah yeah years. like thing she had a name that like everyone on fox news like racistly loved to like say over and over again like Christine because it was like fang. one of those names fang fang i think is what they called her uh, what that's that's not fair it's, it's i know it's kind of fucked up name oh a chinese yes. national name fang fang or christine fang so her full name was mm-hmm. i guess her name was, was fang, fang. fang yeah so so everyone on like, Fox oh, yeah, of course, like yeah, yelling right. that over and over yeah, again yeah, they yeah. can't get enough fang, like fang, they all get yeah. psyop up by like charlie chan comedies <laughs> right. and a kid to be racist so right but i mean nonetheless like i mean i'm not saying it's like the end of the world and honestly like i mean uh hunter biden was doing sus business <laughs> dealings in china and in ukraine mm-hmm. and that probably isn't like the most irrelevant thing in the world and it seems like i don't know if i could picture an easier person who's close to like a major politician than it would be to like blackmail than hunter biden <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's not he like blackmails himself literally like filming <laughs> like uploading yeah. like porn videos to horn porn hub and stuff like you didn't even have to basically lift a finger to blackmail the guy and uh, but maybe that that reduces his um you know the power of blackmailing him because like everyone's like seen his dick now so like how can you embarrass the guy and get him to give you secret shit but you know maybe it was different years ago but i i think they play low-key games like that and they probably do remember a few years ago they were able to like wipe out like a huge u.s like spy network inside of uh 
inside of China? That happened under Obama. No, I don't Like, they rounded up, like, hundreds of people that were, like, CIA assets and, like, killed them (laughs) or whatever. You know, got rid of them. And so I think, uh, I'm sure we have our little tentacles all up in China as well. Because these are not totally closed off countries. Like, Mm -hmm. there's business intermingling and pretty much open travel. So... There's there's quite a bit I think of uh, mutual spying going on and uh, mutual psyoping. So, yeah. yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. they even do force like CIA cults out of their country through great repression and then unleash them to cause disruption in a extremely accepting country of religious <laughs> uh, difference like India. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe maybe the CIA is like repurposing them to fuck with India. Who knows? Maybe. Just to keep them a little bit off just balance, you know? Just to make them you know? more fascist, yeah. Make them, yeah, and like confuse them. because what happens when you allow yeah. religious expression, crazy cult comes in. Kind of an um, interesting judo move to take like an anti-communist Chinese Christian cult and then like unleash it in a district like full of Hindu like nationalists. And then they're like freaked out. Like they're sort of not thinking about the U.S. because of course like they're Chinese. So they must be somehow working for the CCP. And meanwhile, there are, I don't know, some right-wing people who are, like, kidnapping kids and, like, brainwashing them in some weird syncretic baptism, uh, yeah, southern baptism thing. Yeah, it's basically, thing. like, there's a new Jesus who's incarnated in a woman. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The guy who founded it, who was, like, a professor, he believed that his wife is the reincarnation of Jesus. And that's, like, the basis of their religion. Yeah. Yeah. So, not really accepted by other Christians. I um, mean, yeah, I, I, it doesn't help that... There apparently is a, uh, like, you know, situation going on already in Northeast India with, uh, like, separatists, like, in, in Nagaland, the, uh, mm, interesting. the National Socialist Council of Nagaland. I, I saw uh, that. I saw National Socialist Council of Nagaland. Um, <laughs> are we on some Subhash Chandra Bose shit there? Um, <laughs> I don't know if they are all about being Nazis, but they apparently they are... Uh, According to their manifesto, their slogan is Nagaland for Christ. Journalist Bertil Linter has ascribed the NSCN's ideology as a mixture of evangelical Christianity and revolutionary socialism. Uh, Whoa, uh, okay. They not, follow Campa? No, sorry, sorry. I, uh, I'm all about liberation <laughs> theology, but maybe not, maybe yeah. not like that. Facial recognition crew uploaded video of this man fighting off some of the pirates. His name's Lang. Wolf Warrior. Welcome to Africa. Everybody, follow me. Kill Lang, you'll be the king of this country. What the hell doing? Saving your ass! Now it's personal.
should we uh should we move along here yeah. to question number seven? Yeah, this is Mad Dog on September eighteenth asked, Do you know slash have any ideas about potential connections between government ops and the rise in neurological and autoimmune diseases in the US in the past fifty years? <laughs> I mean uh, <laughs> yeah. I got a few I have I have some ideas about that. Yeah. Actually. But I mean I mean, are we talking about acute neurological autoimmune diseases or a kind of broad based art is it different uh, neurological uh versus autoimmune or i mean i guess those are well i I don't know even know what you would classify as like a neurologic maybe like add or something or depression um, or sort of schizophrenia maybe i don't know yeah it's interesting Um, i mean a neurological disorder versus a neurological disease is add a disease technically I mean, I don't know I if it really is, but disease. it's classified. It's a, it's a disorder, yeah. 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 I feel like a disease yeah, so, is and, you could catch, though, right? I guess not, though. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, you know, autoimmune obviously makes me think of uh, HIV. makes me yeah, think I of Lyme disease, be, yeah. which I think we answered a question on that before about Lyme disease maybe being, like, an escaped right, yeah, like, U.S. Did. bioweapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we talked before about HIV being a maybe intentionally escaped uh, bioweapon <laughs> of some kind. Right. We'll have to circle back later. Later. That's a mm-hmm. hot topic, but yes. I think there are some very shady aspects. Just like COVID, there's some yeah, weird there was, aspects there was a of its origin. Connection too, right? Yeah, the HIV. Yeah, I mean, he was involved, and uh-huh. he was the one that told everybody you could get it from like toilet seat covers at first, and like oh basically blocked. Like he that. pushed through AZT, which like killed tons of people when they first rolled it out. It was a failed leukemia drug, and kind of uh, the Dallas Buyers Club is basically all about like a guy going to Mexico to like illegally source HIV therapeutics because like Fauci wouldn't budge on only using AZT for like four years. Just like the vaccines are perfect and you know, um, they're, they're totally effective and you know, you should only take them. There's no alternative. Uh, but then he, like he did an about face after Larry Klamer called him, um, like Joseph Mangala a bunch of times. And he managed to save face with, like, the gay rights movement and then accepted all these other therapies that now everybody uses and actually do work. But he had to be dragged kicking and screaming. I mean, in general, I think it's undeniable that America is, like, way sicker than it was 50 years ago. Would you agree? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, is it? Maybe unhealthier um, oh my god think about it like think about like 19 well, unhealthier or, uh, in terms of like maybe like the obesity problem Does that kind I of know, i'm being fat phobic i'm being fat phobic i'm being ableist uh, but like yeah basically that's the biggest well, yeah, one big i would problem. say that, yes. that it has exploded over the last like 50 years like since maybe yeah. the 60s since like mm-hmm. the 70s it started going up and it's just accelerated and I think a lot of that is like uh, a lot of that is structural in terms of like how our cities are built, like prioritizing cars over things like trains and public transportation or walkable neighborhoods and cities. You know, obviously there's more work that even service jobs are often like you might be standing on your feet, but you're not like lifting a lot of heavy stuff and or you're sitting at a desk for hours a day. A lot of jobs really tisk tisk you. Some smoking listeners will know that, Hmm. you know, there can be often um, a lot of uh, uh, nicotophobia uh, <laughs> about people like getting up and stretching their legs once every two hours, which is actually like mandated by law. But a lot of employers don't honor that, and they think you're lazy. You know, I mean, 
Well, you know, it's like the the idea that uh, that you should even the, that you shouldn't eat your lunch at your desk. There's there's definitely I've had jobs where you would get looked at like it would be bad for you, like if you actually like took a half hour to like go somewhere, like sit outside and eat your lunch as opposed to like working at your desk while eating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like shit like that is very unhealthy and it's very normalized in our economy. And I, I but I do think a lot of it does go back. I think you could source a ton of it to like the food supply and the rollout of just shitty like industrial ingredients and stuff. I mean, I, I've railed. This has become a, like a mantra of 2022. But, you know, I've been railing against seed oils lately, which I think, you know, that might be a little bit of a meme or mm-hmm. it could be overblown. I don't know. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I just read I read some things about seed oils and realized like, oh, my God, wait a minute. Like, oh, it's overproducing omega-5s. And, <laughs> you know, it causes like it's inflammatory. So like that's not really good for you. And of course, if you heat it above its smoke point, it becomes like carcinogenic. And then I started thinking through what are all the foods that get made with seed oils? I started looking at labels at the grocery store <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, it's like high fructose corn syrup used to be. Yeah. They're shoving it into everything, even things you wouldn't expect. They're shoving it in there because it's like the cheapest ingredient possible. But, you know, maybe it's contributing to, and of course, just like fried food in general, highly processed foods. And now even when we're trying to get away from it, we got like Beyond Burgers, which are like hyper processed and just like marinated in seed oils. And all kinds of weird, like, you know, the factory created shit. And I don't know how well our bodies yeah. are really, you know. I was the parallel I was going to mention is something that, like, there's obviously, like, an economic motive for putting it in everything. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't, yeah, it's just like, incredibly unhealthy, yet it's everywhere. Uh, so there's definitely a precedent for that. Um, yeah, and I think it kind of extends to uh, to all kinds of foods, like, both the types of foods that... Americans are like gravitate towards eating to the amount of soda and like sugar, which again is like all high fructose corn syrup. And now, yeah, now it's a movement where it's like even talking about obesity as an epidemic, which was kind of a thing for a while. That was like Michelle Obama's thing was like, get fit, like lose weight. But now it's like, no, it's fat phobic. Like, (laughs) you Um, know what I mean? Like, like, like the food industry had a, that, that was a great coup for the food industry. You can still talk about it at like a, like, you know, a, uh, at a at like an abstract level, you know, I think I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's different to be it, like so, you know, uh, you're like fat, among like, uh, you or whatever, like among but. kind of normal people. I think you can, but if like you get around some like certain types of academics and and media people and shit like that, like you might bump up against if people are have at the latest software update of what they're supposed to say. <laughs> Some people might come at you for. I, don't know. I feel like there's basically, even a difference between. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not being uh, up on on the the latest uh, orthodoxy on on this topic, but like I feel like there's also like a difference between like someone who's like perceived as being fat, and, like someone who's actually like unhealthy. You know, like you can be healthy and like be like perceived as overweight. Like I don't yes. know, like or maybe not even yeah. maybe not overweight, but like maybe our our beauty standards are you know, uh, sometimes too stringent, but like, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I feel like you can't like, deny that, 
like obesity. Well, I think we would talk about, about like obesity. Like yeah, 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 like things that will have a I negative guess, like, value. And I don't, and I don't want to be all okay, eugenic like, about it and yeah. be like, yeah, like because some people do get like eugenic about it. That's oh, yeah, not a problem sure. our society has. Mm-hmm. Or like you know they're a drain on society because they eat too much. Like that you know like it, it's got the it's same with like smokers. Like why should we allow them in the fucking hospital? Do you? It's just like you know if you like you're not vaccinated and you get covid remember like like the beginning of this year how many people on twitter i don't know how many of them were bots but you know there were tons of accounts on twitter being like don't let them in the hospital like let them die like they deserve to die because they're draining resources that like more responsible people should be using and like they were so pumped to like roll that out so i don't want to you know make it seem like uh, we're blaming you know casting personal blame this is like a structural problem but i don't know i mean is there like autoimmune i think I, i've no, like you know remember when um like gluten allergies became a thing in the 2000s mm-hmm. for the first time like i didn't hear anybody having a gluten allergy until like 2007 and then suddenly it was like more and more and more people and yeah well i think gluten I, allergy is a new term right like gluten allergy is not actually like a thing it's just like something that people say, but it's not real. I hope I'm not gonna get in trouble for saying this, but you might get in trouble for that because some people. Thing, oh, right? sorry. Yes, yeah, so that's what I meant. I meant. They have celiac disease, which means they have, you know, yeah, like they have a trouble process. It's not. You're right. It's not technically an allergy, but it's like they can't process gluten, so it they have kind of an allergic esque reaction to it, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's right. I don't, and I don't know what the prevalence of that was. I guess neurological, maybe you, you could include autism in that because I think that's a neurological ailment. Yeah, um, I mean autism, right? It, it, like the diagnosis of autism has certainly increased. It has skyrocketed. That's always the big thing where that's always the big debate or the the OG vaccine debate was always about like why has autism why have autism rates gone from like extremely rare in you know the 50s 60s 70s and then once you get to like the 2000s and 2010s it's up to like you know like one in 60 kids where it was like i don't know one in 500 or something like that you know previously and i remember always asking uh my mom about that because she was like a high school special ed teacher so she'd work with autistic kids and she would always say like you know to a certain point like that is a result of like under diagnosing in the past right Mm -hmm. Like and also they kind of expanded the definition of the spectrum at certain points. So maybe whereas only a very severely autistic child would be classified as that maybe back in the sixties, or maybe they get misclassified as something else. And maybe some maybe somebody who had quote unquote Asperger's, which is itself now obsolete, you know, would would be classified in a certain way. Now it's like they have this broader diagnose, diagnostic spectrum that includes more people and more people are spotting it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that that definitely would account for like some increase, I, I guess, in the reporting of it. But it always seemed like a little bit too high of a jump to be like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, mean, I mean, I am like an example of this very phenomenon. Like when I was a kid, like people would often like say they were problems with me for various reasons. <laughs> but no one ever brought up autism. But as soon as I like hmm. recently went back to like psychotherapy after like a long time of, of not going, they were mm-hmm. immediately like, that's, you know, where my autism diagnosis comes from. They're like, yeah, we thought mm-hmm. that <laughs> like, uh, and I was like, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, so I guess you would be yeah, added to that number. Exactly. Even though you've, yeah. You've been um, the same way the whole time. Exactly. So, where like no yeah. one would have like in the nineties when I was growing up considered me to be autistic because like I am able to 
like for instance like when when i was like to my mom like did anyone ever tell you that i had autism she was like no like you know you uh like loved all your friends like you were very emotional and like now the idea that like autistic people don't have emotions is like you know considered not serious or whatever and that's just my mom you know not a doctor or anything but like yeah. i think that was like even to an extent a perception of you know that like uh because we had certain stereotypes meant, around yeah, it you, yeah you know, like, it's like you're like rain man or were uh-huh. maybe like a you know very low functioning so the idea mm-hmm. of like high functioning autism you know and also yeah and i feel like there's a gender component as well like mm. uh because of the way that women are socialized they mm-hmm. like you know tend to be able to express their emotions better or have uh different maybe like uh interests and things like that so i think that you know autism men tend to get diagnosed with it more so that might be changing um yeah I don't yeah know. that yeah. could account for some of it i think yeah. that it definitely I can i mean i feel like it's almost similar to the increase in the number of people who are lgbt identified like mm-hmm. i think that it's that's gone up a ton yeah it's like yeah. It's, but i don't think that like you know i mean maybe it's like the xenoestrogens in the river turning like the frogs and people gay. I mean, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. No, but I I think most people would probably agree that there's a heavy social component to that. Yes. And I'm not saying that that like invalidates anyone's identity or anything like that, you know, or like that's like not Uh their legitimate expression, but you know, yeah. Like it's uh, a, in some cases with, in some cases it's a matter of like the words that we use or whatever, like the identification of people as nine binary probably has gone up like literally from zero to a lot because because nobody called themselves non-binary exactly. yeah yeah, but, like, so yeah that terminology thing. was not really in existence like 30 exactly. yeah maybe even 30 years ago i don't think i don't think so yeah i mean i might be but like that particular you know what i mean there's many examples of yes. that like, particular nomenclature of like saying like your age gender or something there might have been people like that yeah but they didn't use that terminology and like now certain definitions that maybe did exist in the past like are extending you know, Asperger's is an example of something that did exist for a while, like hadn't existed before, probably went from zero to a million and then mm-hmm. just blipped away and got it reassimilated back into autism. So that's going to have a huge effect. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. mean, there might be like I think that I mean, the causes of autism are controversial. Right. Like but I think that there are I don't necessarily think that it's because of vaccines, but I do think that, you know, there might be like environmental factors that contribute Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that yeah no there could I mean well now we've just learned so recently about shit like microplastics and like PFAS that was something I was and, like bring all these up. things like I feel yeah like, like what the, the fuck week, is that like, shit oh yeah like it turns out that there's microplastics like in your body that you can never get rid of they're like in your bloodstream no matter what but it's not that big of a deal like uh, it won't affect you that much and then like within a week they're like actually they're killing you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh, what the fuck like wait who did this like wh- when did this become a policy to put fucking microplastics or did, like did they just start I well, I think they're like every I, you know they're like plastics like that touch your food like create microplastics right Honestly one day we're going to do a sus plastics episode because everything about plastics is like I get they're super convenient but I feel like if I could name one like industrial raw material or whatever maybe it's not a raw material they have to make it but like you know any any like base material like that that is like incredibly sus 
uh, it might oh, yeah. be plastic. Plastic is you evil. Know, it's truly it, it's evil. evil. It's, I mean, it's like polluting the ocean, and it just, yeah, it, like, it promotes like kind of cheap, like disposable consumerism to some level, that to a level that's like feels like very unhealthy, and now we just are like full of microplastics. So you never know what kind of stuff, like it'd be fucking up your gut biome, you know, like it could, yeah, there, there's so lot. many, it's I mean, bad. you almost don't want to think about it too much because like everywhere you go, because I think reading that was like, that used to be like, oh, you know, BPA, it's bad. But now you can buy BPA-free water bottles. Like you could make a consumer choice to like get some distance from it. But now it's like, oh yeah, none of the microplastics, they're in your tap water. Like there's no escape. Yeah. Like they're just everywhere. Like even if you filter it, it's still there. So it's like, God damn it. Like what the fuck? So, you know, it is what it is. But I think some of that stuff, I'd love to dig into like, you know, DuPont. Because also, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't know if it's like, I don't know how much credit I'd give it, but I feel like um, putting fluoride in all the water is a little bit sus. You know, a lot of European countries don't do it and it calcifies your pineal gland. <laughs> and I mean, the, honestly, the susest thing about it that might be considered almost like a government op is I believe I was reading a long time ago that like there's a real Gustavus Myers angle to the fluoride in the drinking water mm -hmm. where like companies like DuPont had all of this industrial chemical runoff from their plants for making other types of chemicals. And a lot of it was like hydrofluoride, you know, chemicals and shit. So they had kind of two choices. One was they had to spend a bunch of money like dumping it somewhere and then they'd have to abide by environmental shit and it'd be a cost and kind of annoying. Or they could set up a deal with all the major cities and turn around and be like, you know, fluoridation of water is actually like very healthy for your teeth mm. and get all the fucking corrupt city governments to buy this waste bullshit fluoride from the company and then put it into all the water plants, you know, basically. So they manage to turn kind of like a negative into a positive and get the government to like buy all of their shitty like fluoride waste. And I mean, not to be too hard on fluoride like i think it is beneficial if you brush your teeth with it but it's a topical agent it doesn't like help you to drink it like it it's like you rub it on your teeth and it does have a protective kind of benefit because it does you know calcify and shit like that but like drinking it in your water is actually like not it's an extremely inefficient way to like get fluoride to help your teeth so yeah, I think that's I'm a little sure bit that of a psyop. Mainly, like for it to make money for the people that have like a bunch of fluoride lying around. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. absolutely, it's not like yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Dupont's like they are a they're just like the Gettys. They're like a super sicko like elite, you know, American dynasty. But yeah, I'm sure we'll circle back. There are many such things we could go into with uh, sure. yeah. yeah. I feel like uh, this blaming comes the up U.S. The time. for yeah. health um, problems. Yeah. Yeah, we like to be. We like to give little health Fort advice Bragg, from time to time. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, Edgewood Arsenal, Frank Zappa, etc. <laughs> um, all right. So we got. All right. We got. I think we have just enough time for this last question, which I think is a good one. Good one to end on. You yeah, want to read it? For sure. Yeah. Uh, Loik again asks: Is WikiLeak an underground Reich op? Uh, Yes. I really appreciate <laughs> about this question. Yeah, I appreciate about this question that he didn't ask: Is WikiLeaks a psyop? He has specifically: Is it an underground Reich op? Uh, yeah. And you know, okay, I think you found something here from. Yeah. I feel like we don't talk about this website enough, but Cryptome it. I mean, it's Cryptome. Uh, the Cryptome. Yeah. Cryptome is you know it's like 
it maybe has its own kind of like sus vibes because the guy who runs it, John Young, is I don't know, he's like an architect yeah, and, and he, stuff like that. But right, but he had I like feel a like crip- falling out with WikiLeaks famously. Oh, he did, yeah. he did, and he was he was still kind of act. I think he's like I don't I think he's still alive, but he's like in his nineties now. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, Cryptome kind of stopped uh, updating their website so much, like probably around the time, honestly, that like Trump got in, they kind of fell off. But I, I feel like you know. Crypto was almost like WikiLeaks for like real heads. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it started in the 90s and he is a very, I would say, critical, paranoid kind of uh, early Internet kind of dude who has been uh, very closely either following, sometimes involved occasionally in um, various kind of, you know, Internet dramas like over the years like a lot of it to do with like leaking information and a lot of the same stuff that, like WikiLeaks got famous for so he had you found here um there was like a thing he posted in 2010 yeah called WikiLeaks CIA Soros and competitors backlash <laughs> yes um uh, this is it, basically his emails John Young himself back and forth with WikiLeaks yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, he's in the proud tradition of accusing based radical dudes of being CIA and yeah, getting it's, uh, yelled at for it. It's pretty interesting because I think, you know, later on he started saying like, oh, I wasn't trying to say like they were CIA assets. I was saying that they were. Uh, yeah, this is actually what he said. It is often reported that John Young accused WikiLeaks during its formation of being associated with the CIA and or George Soros. Not correct. He said that its lofty goals and secret procedures mimic those authoritarian meddlers, which remains correct. Here are his statements mm-hmm. of WikiLeaks acknowledgement followed by predicted competitor backlash. Yeah, but when you actually read the emails, it's a lot more damning, I think. So he wrote to them about their fundraising plan. He says, mm-hmm. announcing a $5 million fundraising goal by July will kill this effort. It makes WikiLeaks appear to be a Wall Street scam. This amount could not be needed so soon except for suspect purposes. Soros will kick you out of the office of just overreaching. Foundations are flooded <laughs> with big talkers making big requests, flaunting famous names and promising spectacular results. I said the same about the alleged 1.1 million documents ready for leaking. Way too many to be believable without evidence. I don't believe the number. By f- so far, one document of highly suspect provenance. Instead, explain what uh, funding needs there are and present a schedule for their need. Avoid generalities and lump sums. Explain how the funds will be managed and protected against fraud and theft. Instead, operate in a shoestring for a few months, best, for a couple of years. Establish WikiLeaks bona fides by publishing a credible batch of documents for testing public feedback and criticism. Show how to handle the heat of doubt and condemnation. Use that to support fundraising. At the moment, there is no reason to believe WikiLeaks can deliver on its promises. Big talk, no action, the skeptics say. BTW, the biggest crooks brag over much of how ethical their operations are. Avoid ethical promises, period. They've been used too often to fleece victims. Demonstrate sustained ethical behavior. Don't preach slash peddle it. And then he wrote in an amazing addendum. Oh, yeah. uh, The CIA would be the most likely $5 million funder. Soros is suspected of being a conduit for black money to dissident groups racketeering for such payola. Now, it may be that there is the intention, uh, sorry, that is the intention of WikiLeaks because its behavior so far fits the pattern. If fleecing the CIA is the purpose, I urge setting a much higher funding goal in the $100 million <laughs> range and up. The U.S. <laughs> intel agencies are awash in funds they cannot spend fast enough to keep the congressional spigot wide open. Academics, dissidents, companies, spy contractors, other nations' spy agencies, whole countries are falling all over themselves to tap into this bountiful flood. Podcasters, no. Uh, but comp- competition <laughs> is fierce, and accusations of deception are raging even as the fleecers work in concert. 
Chinese dissidents, a brand name among mm-hmm. many, are already reaping huge benefits from covert funding from the U.S. and from the PRC, along with others in the former Soviets uh, in Africa and South America, mm-hmm. inside the U.S., U.K. and Europe, in the Middle East and the Koreas, who know how to double-cross ditzy rich dads and moms, in solidarity to fuck them all. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so... Yeah, I, no, I mean, he. I remember reading this years ago, and I was like kind of a fan of WikiLeaks like when they first yeah, came they out the collateral scene, murder sure. yeah. I think we talked about it a lot in our if, if anybody wants to go back to any of our QAnon episodes so I think we did uh, two of them and I think we talked a lot about WikiLeaks in the first one maybe even somebody asked us about them on a Q&A but I think we described kind of our sus feelings about WikiLeaks in yeah. that era and how they seem so radical and Julian Assange was such a rock star rebel yeah. and he was a hacker and stuff and just the weird journey they've been on the last like 10 years like from that through like the Arab Spring and then like Syria and then Pizzagate and like the Podesta <laughs> evils yeah. and then him going to jail like there's just so much like crazy shit kind of going on with them but you know I I think um one of the first people I discovered that really was like Julian Assange WikiLeaks critical in the right way was John Young at Crypto I think I read this many many years ago and it was just like oh shit like he's really going off on them and then there there's some very wise accounts on like paranoid Marxist Twitter years ago that were publishing stuff about like WikiLeaks, you know, their early hits basically and where they started and how like one of their kind of very early things was working with like Hong Kong dissidents, Mm -hmm. like in the Chinese dissident, like freedom fighters. I think there wasn't there. God, I think they were even attached to like the cult of the dead cow. And wasn't there somebody, one of these like Silicon Valley, like, like Moxie Marlin spike or something like that. It was like a Mohawk and like, you know, like 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 Scuzz, like the chief conscience officer at Google or something. You know, it was like that type of those type of people were all getting involved in. Of course, they're talking about, you know, they, they kind of play up this game like they're challenging America. But then, you know, they just find a way to like target all these countries America doesn't like under the guise of being, you know, kind of against all authoritarianism right. and stuff. And it it is interesting that he... You know, because I think it actually sounds quite on brand for George Soros to be funding WikiLeaks in like the late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. He was really on, like, he was funding like moveon.org and a bunch of other NGOs and, and stuff like that. I mean, it is interesting and, that he seemed like in his email, it almost seemed like he was saying that Soros was like kind of already i mean maybe he was joking he's obviously making some jokes here and maybe i'm showing my autism and not understanding it but uh when he says i think john young for such overreaching like it almost honestly i'm going on a limb here i think i'm pretty sure like john young is on the spectrum like having Um, read him for years like i'm (laughs) pretty sure like he has a very dry like sense of humor about these things and no but i think maybe he is describing something that you know, I mean, he's joking about it. You should fleece the CIA for a hundred million, yeah. but the CIA would be the most likely five million funder. Soros is suspected of being a conduit for black money to dissident groups racketeering for yeah. such payola. Now but that is he doesn't say that like or you know Soros or whatever. He's like saying Soros would be you know could even funnel money from the CIA. It almost seems like maybe they did have some kind of Soros connection. Like maybe I don't know. Like already. Yeah. Well, I think at the least what he's asserting is that like the money that Soros sprinkles all around the world to these different dissident groups and causes 
is often, I think he's he's insinuating that he's doing this in conjunction with the CIA as like their front man, as their cutout man. Now, maybe it's a, it's not necessarily the CIA's money, but I think if you look at the career of George Soros, there's actually, um there's a very interesting art exhibit going on in Poland right now. I think I just uh, posted about it on Instagram. It's at the Ujazdowski uh, Castle Center for Contemporary Art. And I forget, it's called the Influencing Machine. I talked to the person who's putting it together, Aaron Moulton, a little bit on Instagram. It's like very interesting because it's all about Soros bankrolling art like museums and movements and stuff in the 80s and 90s in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like for the first time rolling out basically like the, the massive psyop that sort of like flowed through the open society foundations to change the consciousness of like Eastern Bloc peoples to accept like the possibilities of today and, you know, like all this kind of shit and stuff. And it's kind of, I guess, kind of a deconstruction of like the weaponization of art as like a psyop weapon. And George Soros is kind of basically like the, the centerpiece of that whole effort. And so, I mean, yeah, like running around sponsoring dissidents in the 80s in the Eastern Bloc sounds pretty CIA to me, right? And, you know, but I think both like right-wing critics and left-wing ch defenders of George Soros forget this constantly. So, yeah, what else does he say in here in terms uh, of accusing them? Yeah, they go back and forth. Uh, you know, eventually he says, uh, you know, Cryptome uh, is publishing the contents of this list and how I was induced to serve as a U.S. person for registration. WikiLeaks is a fraud. Uh, fuck your mm -hmm. cute hustle and disinformation campaign against legitimate dissent. Same old shit, working for the enemy. And someone mm -hmm. writes back, hey, John, please do not do that. If you're wondering about the WikiLeaks, the list has grown and there were enough accidental WikiLeaks mentioned, e.g. in the Somali document and the CC, that not mentioning it became of little additional obscurity, especially since you're receiving the mail. No one has bothered to change the warning, which, uh, after all, doesn't really hurt. Even if you think we are CIA stooges, you can't treat everyone on the list that way. <laughs> yeah then somebody wrote i don't know who it doesn't say oh yeah from wikileaks they said jay uh, maybe julian we are going to fuck them all chinese mostly but not entirely a faint invention abounds lies twists and distorts everywhere needed for protection hackers monitor chinese and other intel as they burrow into their targets when they pull so do we inexhaustible supply of material near 100,000 documents emails a day we're going to crack the world open and let it flower into something new if fleecing the cia will assist us then fleece we will hmm we have pullbacks from ned cfr freedom house and other cia oh teats we have all of pre-2005 afghanistan almost all of india fed half a dozen foreign ministries dozens of political parties and consulates world bank apec UN sections, trade groups, Tibet, and Fulan Dafa associations, that's Falun Gong, and dot, 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 Russian fishing mafia, with a PH, who pull data everywhere. We're drowning. I think he means drowning. We, <laughs> I'm, he's drowning in paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't even know a tenth of what we have or who it belongs to. We stopped storing it at one terabyte. That is, I, I don't know if that's Julian Assange writing. Yeah. But like, know. okay, do, like the very LOL on CIA energy, you know, if fleecing the CIA will help us, then fleece we will. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're, you're totally getting one over on them, bro. Yeah, yeah. You really, you showed them. Okay, so. It's interesting yeah, how Wayne Madsen <laughs> comes up. Uh, I suggest we be careful. Oh, with yeah, Wayne Madsen. Madsen. Too. 
Seems oh, good. I it forgot he was involved was in this. A few years ago, this is WikiLeaks uh, saying this. Uh-huh. You know, they uh, John Young. Oh no, this is Julian Assange. Never mind. It actually is from Julian Assange. Usually he blacks okay. out the names, but in this case he didn't. He says, I suggest you be careful with Maine Madsen, too. He seems to be another case of someone who was fantastic a few years ago, but recently has started to see conspiracies everywhere. Both cases possibly age-related. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so Wayne, Ma- Wayne Madsen, not serious. Um, yeah, John Young. I, yeah. That, that always pissed me off about Julian Assange. He's like, whoa, I'm not talking about, like, a conspiracy here. Like, then what the fuck are you doing running WikiLeaks, you well, dumb? Like, get I mean, the fuck out of this business. if people you- to, like, start talking about him i mean think about He's, julian assange for a second you know he grew oh, yeah, up but in let's a cult, talk about let, maybe now, let's talk about julian assange yeah. for a second <laughs> like, okay I'm, I'm just typing in julian assange nazi right now into um julian assange's long history of alleged anti-semitism yeah let's see because he you know let's not forget Loic asked us is he a uh, underground reich op now eh, that's a big that, but cia is one thing i think we've established that a strong maybe on the cia front but what about Julian Assange? You know, where did he come from? Where did this wild Australian, you know, crazy radical come from? So, yeah, he grew up in Australia. And like you said, he grew up in a, a weird cult called The Family. You know, you, he's an invisible child, you could say. His mom was Christine Ann Hawkins, a visual artist, and John Shipton, an anti-war activist and builder. I don't know what builder means. They separated before he was born, and then when he was a baby, his mother married Brett Assange, an actor with whom she ran a small theater company and whom Julian regards as his father. So that's why he has the name. Then they divorced around 1979, and this is where it gets weird because his mom, Christine, became involved with Leif Maynell, also known as Leif Hamilton, whom Julian Assange later described as, quote, a member of an Australian cult called The Family. So they separated in 1982. So I guess he spent probably about three years with this strange cult. And people have pointed out a lot of things. It's like very new agey. Oh, wait, hold on. Interlock alert. The other names of The Family were the Santini-Keaton Park Association and, get this, the Great White Brotherhood. I think I talked about in the son of Liberian President William Tolbert in an interview saying that he was uh, an adherent of the Ascended Master's teaching of the Great White Brotherhood, Mm -hmm. which sounded like basically he was like involved in some kind of like weird elite, like theosophical cult kind of thing. So Great White Brotherhood, ding, ding, that that is a theosophical reference. So it was an Australian New Age group formed in the mid-60s under the leadership of yoga teacher Anne Hamilton Byrne. The group's headquarters were raided in 1987, and all children were removed from the premises. So we're on some kind of finders-type shit. In June 1993, Anne Hamilton Byrne was charged with conspiracy to defraud and commit perjury by falsely registering the births of three unrelated children as her own triplets, so stealing babies, but their charges were eventually dropped, and uh, she pled guilty to the remaining charge and got a fine. Okay, so they taught an eclectic mixture of Christianity and Hinduism with other Eastern and Western religions on the principle that spiritual truths are universal. The children studied the major scriptures of these religions and also the works of fashionable gurus, including uh, Sri Chinmoy, Meher Baba, and Rajneesh. The group has an inner circle who justify their actions. Oh, my God. Wow. Full circle here. 
They have an inner circle who justify their actions by their claim to be reincarnations of the apostles of Jesus. Yeah. So just like the Chinese cult, they, they're all reincarnated characters from the Bible. Yeah. The basis of the family's philosophy was that Hamilton Byrne, okay, was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ and a living God. Jesus was said to be a great master who came down to earth, and the group believed that Buddha and Krishna were other enlightened beings who similarly came down to help humanity. Hamilton Byrne was regarded as being in the same category as these teachers. One adopted daughter, Sarah Hamilton Byrne, later described the group's beliefs as a hodgepodge of Christianity and Eastern mysticism. So, um... But... Don't you think it's a little bit interesting how the sort of structure or the uh, discourse and the the sort of presence in the public sphere of WikiLeaks has evolved to be kind of like cult-like and centered around Julian Assange? Honestly, that is something, you know, that is a pet peeve. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is a pet peeve of mine. Like the people that are like Julian Assange, like stands. And it's still it was a bigger tendency a few years ago. A lot of people have dropped off, but there's still people. I mean, you know, no judgment if you have like hashtag freedom for Assange or whatever the fuck like in your, you know, bio or you tweet about him every day and like the conditions that he has in solitary confinement and blah, blah, blah. And how it's the greatest crime. I mean, you see more mainstream people do it whenever news comes out that like they make these huge pronouncements about how like persecuting this man will lead to like the end of freedom of speech and journalism for all of us. Like he is our Christ figure basically. Yeah. You know, like I feel even like a like a type of like a Matt Tybee or Glenn Greenwald would say shit like that. And for me, he just passed such a level. He passed such a bar of susness at a certain point that I feel bad that he's being locked, you know, in prison and being extradited to the US. And I feel like what he did at the end of the day is like not uh, shouldn't be punished like that or whatever, mm-hmm. especially because he's not an American and like he didn't do his crime in America. So what the fuck? But, you know, at the same time, when you look at kind of his entire back, I mean, this cult is weird, but then, you know, he also got in to being a hacker when he was a teenager. And there are many such cases of this happening in the 80s when hackers would, you know, they'd like hack into the Pentagon, like for fun, like it's war games or something, mm-hmm. or they'd hack into a telecom company and then they get caught by the feds and then they come and say, like, you just committed, like, a huge felony. You committed, like, you know, wire fraud or something like that. And they freak out. And in a lot of cases, like, say, the NSA would say, well, you know, we could punish you or you could come work for us. You're pretty talented. And I think something like that, I think, maybe happened to Julian Assange. It says that, you know, he started hacking at age 16 in 1987 under the name Mendax, Supposedly taken from Horace's Splendid Mendax, nobly lying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, like Mendacity. Yeah, so basically by, like, he named himself like a noble liar. Um, he and two others known as Trax and Prime Suspect formed a hacking group called the International Subversives. Oh, cool. uh, he may have been involved in the wank Worms Against Nuclear Killers hack at NASA in 1989, but it's never been proven. In 1991, he was discovered hacking into the Melbourne Master Terminal of Nortel, a Canadian multinational telecom corporation. 
The Australian Federal Police tapped Assange's phone line, he was using a modem, raided his home at the end of October, and eventually charged him in 1994 with 31 counts of hacking and related crimes. He, pl he pled guilty to 24 charges and was ordered to pay reparations of $2,000 and released on a good behavior bond. He received a lenient penalty hmm, due to the absence of malicious or mercenary intent and his disrupted childhood. Hmm, okay, so he got off easy for that. I guess he didn't have to... Uh... Okay, whoa, this is also weird. I didn't know this about him. In 1993, Assange used his computing skills to help the Victoria Police Child Exploitation Unit to prosecute individuals responsible for publishing and distributing child pornography. In the same year, he was involved in starting one of the first public ISPs in Australia, Suburbia Public Access Network. He began programming in 94, authoring or co-authoring the TCP port scanner, Strobe, and then did a bunch of uh, Usenet, open source type shit throughout the 90s, and, I don't know, contributed to a book about hackers. Huh, interesting. He stated that he registered the domain leaks.org in 1999, but didn't do anything with it. He did publicize a patent granted to the National Security Agency, so there we go with the secret patents, for voice data harvesting technology. Quote, this patent should worry people. Everyone's overseas phone calls are or may soon be tapped, just transcribed and archived in the bowels of an unaccountable foreign spy agency. I love that he puts in like foreign spy. Like, don't worry yeah. so much about the NSA, but like the Chicoms could get it or something. That's for wait. He publicized a patent granted. Okay, so that he leaked the patent. He didn't design the patent, right? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's warning everybody. Then he made WikiLeaks in two thousand six. And I, you're right, though, that it, like, it absolutely kind of became this sort of cult thing yeah, um, over sure. the few years when it's he was a figure. It's very interesting that it just happened to take that form. I mean, in a way, I guess it makes sense. Maybe it's not even like that remarkable or uh, unusual. I mean, it is certainly unusual, but like, I mean, if he grew up in that environment, it's very interesting how it has kind of like replicated that. He even kind of looks like, you know, a rail type guy, like, you know. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because if you look at, now it's weird that the leader of the cult was a woman, Leif Hamilton Byrne. Now, hold on, I'm going to send you a Guardian article about this cult and tell me if anything about the picture of them just looks a little bit familiar to you. And this is in 1978, right around the time that Julian Assange would have gone to live with them. Do you see it? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm seeing this long line of blonde-haired children. Um, yep, she used to bleach all of the children's hair blonde yeah. to make them look exactly like her. And Julian Assange, pretty much like his entire life, has had long bleach blonde hair yeah. just like her. Exactly, yeah. Uh, just uh, like a little bit weird, yes. just a little bit weird, uh, for somebody who is only kind of involved for like a couple years with this kind of cult. I just want to bring up also, because, you know, we are talking about a cult here. They did own a property known as the White Lodge. Very cool. So during the late 1960s and 70s, the New Haven Hospital in Q, Q, huh? Mm, it's K-E-W, but I'm just saying Q, was a private psychiatric hospital owned and managed by Marion Villamec, a Santini, a Santini Ketten member, so a family member. 
Many of its staff and attending psychiatrists were also members. Okay, so they were running a psychiatric hospital, but wait, it gets better. Many patients at New Haven were treated with the hallucinogenic drug LSD. The hospital was used to recruit potential new members from among the patients and also to administer LSD to members under the direction of the Santini Ketten psychiatrist John Mackay and Howard Whitaker. One of the original members of the association was given LSD, electroconvulsive therapy, and two leucotomies... I don't even know what that is. It's uh, neurosurgery. Yeah. It's kind of like a lobotomy of your prefrontal. Oh, it is a, it is a lobotomy yeah. uh, during the late 1960s. So they were giving people acid, giving them lobotomies, and trying to recruit them into a fucking cult, okay? Although the psychiatric hospital had been closed down by 1992, that year a new inquest was ordered into the death of a New Haven patient in 1975 after claims that his death had been due to deep sleep therapy. The inquest heard evidence concerning the use of uh, ECT, LSD, and other practices, but found no evidence that deep sleep had been used. And so then they eventually moved on. She also got accused of, like, kind of stealing babies. You know, basically she acquired 14 infants... Uh, yeah. Yep, exactly. 14 infants and young children between 1968 and 75. Some were natural children of members of the family. Others had been obtained through irregular adoptions arranged by lawyers, doctors, and social workers in the group who could bypass the normal processes. The children's identities were changed using fake birth certificates or deed poll, all being given the surname Hamilton Byrne and dressed alike, even to the extent of their hair being dyed uniformly blonde. The children were kept in seclusion and homeschooled at Kai Lama, a rural property usually referred to as Uptop at Taylor Bay on Lake Eildon near the town of Eildon, Victoria. They were told that Anne Hamilton Byrne was their biological mother and knew the other adults in the group as aunties and uncles. They were denied almost all access to the outside world and subjected to a discipline that included, included frequent severe beatings, often for little to no reason, and starvation diets. The children were frequently dosed with the psychiatric drugs flufezanine, diazepam, hal- haloperidol, uh, chlorpromazine, nitrazepam, oxazepam, trifluoperazine, carbamazepine, and Im- I don't even know most of these. Jesus. On reaching adolescence, they were compelled to. Okay. On reaching adolescence, they were compelled to undergo an initiation involving LSD. While under the influence of the drug, the child would be left in a dark room, alone, apart from visits by Hamilton Byrne or one of the psychiatrists from the group. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, then they, there's a yoga connection that like a yeah, sus yoga connection. The yoga guy w- would, according to Sarah Hamilton Byrne, who eventually wrote that book, like about, you know, the, the light of growing up in the cult. She says that the, the yoga instructor, a Swami, uh, Muktananda. Muktananda. Yeah. Muktananda. Sorry. Mm-hmm. He, uh, would uh, give a private audience once a week. And he would, uh, he once asked the children, you know, do you want to leave the family and come live with me, like, instead? And the children were all like, yeah, yeah. And then they were, like, punished for disloyalty. Wow. That is, I mean, so this is, like, an MK psychiatrist, like, new age cult that is drugging and brainwashing and, like, doing lobotomies on people and, like, trying to brainwash children. And she thought she was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. It's also, it's a really weird parallel to where Julian Assange kind of ended up today, where he's kind of, like, being held in solitary confinement. He he may, I don't know if he's being, like, forcibly drugged or anything like that. True, I'm really yeah. not sure. 
But there's always like alligate with those people that are like huge Julian stands, like they're always talking about how like he's about to die, like yeah. you know, he needs medical treatment, this is <laughs> right, inhumane yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean I'm sure maybe it well, is, but like yeah. it's just such a weird full circle thing for him to end up back in like this very abusive like prison situation. But also he seems he it just seems like he's so deeply influenced by this cult, by this sus cult. I mean, you know? if he experienced and any of what was described, how could he not be? Even the fact that like their their motto was unseen, unheard, unknown, and things like that. You um, know, it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like some of telling the, you he was an invisible child. Yeah, he was. He was the you know? invisible child. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's way more we could get into in terms of like their trajectory their involvement with the bradley manning and stuff yeah and i guess there's a cable gate you know the cable gate files were released in 2010 and 2011 but in 2011 a series of events compromised the security of a wikileaks file containing the leaked cables and i guess what happened cryptome like beat them to it and like released the unredacted cables a day before they did i guess then wikileaks like did release them I'm not sure exactly. I mean, they were getting cyber attacked at this time. It just, a lot of it does feel kind of like this kind of kayfabe sort of, you know, putting them out here is like this radical, badass villain. Also, there is just the aspect of like, if you were a person who was inclined to send whistleblower shit to anybody in that era, like you maybe would have been convinced to like send it to WikiLeaks and their secure server, which is like designed to protect dissidents and journalists, et cetera, et cetera. But eh, maybe it's like a little bit of a honeypot sort of thing. Kind of like the, you know, the intercept, right? Yeah. Which is like, yeah, everybody like send your whistleblower. And then they like throw like reality winner, like in prison. And that's happened with a few whistleblowers that have made the unfortunate choice of, giving shit to the intercept is like they've ended up turning it over basically to the feds or somehow the feds end up catching them. But yeah, I mean also, okay, finally, like, is he a do, is there an underground right connection? I mean, there is a little bit of like anti-Semitism kind of stuff. He was, he used to hang out. Dave Emery always talked about he, there's this guy, uh, Israel Shamir, right, who yeah, is like a him. German guy. Yeah. Israel Shamir was like one of his kind of like right hand men and stuff. Yeah, I'm reading a forward.com, a Jewish magazine here. I think it's like a WikiLeaks, Julian Assange's long history of alleged anti-Semitism. This is probably like a liberal kind of perspective, but it's from 2019. So for years, WikiLeaks employed an anti-Semitic Holocaust denier who goes by the name Israel Shamir. Shamir has claimed that Jews perpetuate a mind control conspiracy and, quote, asked God to kill, destroy, humiliate, exterminate, defame, starve, impale Christians to usher in divine vengeance and to cover God's mantle with blood of Goyim. Assange long denied that Shamir was on the WikiLeaks payroll, but a former WikiLeaks employee confirmed it in a 2013 tell-all article. Okay, wait, hold up a second. This is the same guy who basically goes like, erm, like, no, dude, like, I'm not into pushing conspiracies, man. But then this guy works for him who's like, um, the Jews are, like, are mind-controlling everybody, and, like, they just want to kill us all. And it's like, so how do you square those two things? Why do you have this, like... He have that remark where he, like, sort of made that weird remark about Jews, right? Like, Assange did. on Twitter, but, like, he made, well, one deleted He did, he did triple... He triple parentheses yeah, uh, some shit in 2016. You're right. On Twitter. And then there was a leak that was even more explicit where he was like, he's always been a rat, but he is a Jew after all or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. he also compared himself to Nazi victims by uh, the WikiLeaks people were selling a shirt in 2016 that said, first they came for Assange. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> cool. he definitely has a persecution complex. He also apparently... Uh, like, you know, when he was awaiting trial, he uh, brought with him, what was the name of uh, Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn's first book? Solzhenitsyn? Solzhenitsyn, yeah, whatever his name is. Uh, oh, wait, he brought, like, the, the Gulag. Ar- Ar- yeah, not the Gulag. Uh, the, oh, the, oh the probably novel. one of his, like, yeah. huge anti-Semitic novels that he wrote. Um, it's a bit, Yeah, uh, and he said, uh, how close the parallels to my own adventures. See, that's the thing at yeah. the end of the day is like he is like an anti-communist. Almost it it's kind of surprising, especially because like the Cold War is sort of over. But like he has these kind of very anti-communist classic like five eyes Cold War sentiments and repeats a bunch of like stupid Orwell quotes and stuff like that. And then dabbles a little bit in anti-Semitism and, you know, wants to go after china a lot this and is from, uh, this is from the new yorker assange was charged with 31 counts of hacking and related crimes while awaiting trial he fell into the depression and briefly checked himself into a hospital he tried to stay with his mother but after a few days he took to sleeping in nearby parks he lived and hiked among the dense eucalyptus forests and dandenong ranges national park which were thick with mosquitoes whose bites scarred his face your inner voice quiets down he told me internal dialogue is stimulated by a preparatory desire to speak but it is not actually useful if there are no other people around. He added, I don't want to sound too Buddhist, but your vision of yourself disappears. Interesting. Very, uh... He's on that bicameral mind mind. shit. Bring it full circle here, yeah. Um, Reverting back to his natural state. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he held... Having moles in the government, and the family had moles in the government. Like, eh, That's what I mean. This guy, this guy's so fucking sus. Like, everything about him, and everybody that got kind of, like, into bed with him, and, like, John Young at Cryptome, honestly, even if he's like separately somehow, I feel like, actually, no. I feel like I got to hang my hat on somebody. I feel like John Young I is like. support him in that exchange. Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know if he, let's see, uh, says anything else like in that email chain ripping on them or. No, talking shit. A lot of it is the is people. No, no one, um, no one d- broke from the party line except for him in that email chain. Yeah, no, everyone piled onto him, and we're like, "You're being unreasonable and stuff like that." Like he thinks we're all CIA spooks. LOL. <laughs> Even though we just bragged that like we would take CIA money because it totally wouldn't corrupt us <laughs> and shit. Yeah. Like that major red flag. If you think you you won't be corrupted by taking like millions of dollars in CIA money to do nefarious activities, sorry, you're sus, and you're probably gonna you're a patsy. Like you're probably gonna get just like Assange. You know, I think I don't know what kind of game he was ultimately playing in like 2016. You know, when he kind of I mean, but if you think about it, it's interesting. Assange, okay, he becomes famous by doing collateral murder. But, like, at the very end of the Bush administration, when everybody already knows that they're doing horrible war crimes and horrible shit and it's a disaster. So, really just kind of the cherry on top. But then, you know, Obama comes in and Assange, he pretty much mostly just attacks Democrats. And I'm not saying Democrats don't deserve to be attacked. But he's also coded as kind of like this liberal, like, left-wing guy. But, like, he... in you know, all the way through Obama's term, he's releasing shit that embarrasses Obama. And then 2016 comes around and I don't know who he got those Podesta emails from. I guess maybe the Russians did hack them, but Podesta's fucking stupid. He was like, 
too high on adrenochrome and like clicked on the phishing link. So, you know, WikiLeaks got it. And then he deliberately tries to like take out Hillary Clinton with insinuating pedo stuff. Yeah. He really tried to. And he he, honestly, he probably, and it probably like played a role. I understand that it's like his personal kind of, but it didn't really help him that Trump won. It's not like Trump like dropped the charge. Trump was, no, he's, he's disgusting. Like put him in jail. You know, like he, he kind of dropped Julian Assange the second that he was like not useful Mm -hmm. for him anymore. Uh, So like, it's just, that shows up kind of weird. Like, uh, and then the the connection with the cults and all that kind of stuff. It just feels like maybe he's connected to some kind of like weird like world anti communist league, <laughs> like international un- maybe an in- uh, underground break, perhaps. You know, Something I mean, like he yeah. rubs elbows with Nazis. I don't know if he is literally like controlled by like SS Obergrip and Fuhrer, like Martin Borman Jr. or something who like lives in Paraguay. Yeah you know, or some kind of like Swiss Nazi bankers or shit. But I feel like, you know, he's plugged into this whole sus kind of like be the change you want to see in the world. Like, uh, open information will set us all free. Who cares if it's punk rock to take money from the CIA, all that kind of shit, which has, uh, lost the shine a little bit. I think he's deeply involved with all those ops and is kind of like, Sometimes the intelligence agencies need like a setup villain who's like kind of under their control, I think. Yeah. You know, like a Patty Hearst, you know? Ooh, she's so dangerous. She she's rebelling against American life and her privilege, you know? But it's like, uh this is an op. Like, you know, but it, it can help to have some kind of bad desperado running around that by their radical gestures and activities and the fact that like they don't get caught might attract people to support them and maybe even cultishly worship them and maybe even expose themselves like you know get themselves wrapped up in something and expose themselves or any other number of bad things but yeah yeah all right okay well i think we made it to the end here our time is up (laughs) thank you to the grotto once again, yeah. I think these were these were some good ask questions today. Yeah, yeah, we're we'll be back. Yes, we got some fire questions at the top uh, next month, so stay tuned for that. If you want to sign up to our Patreon, you can get in the queue, which is moving slightly <laughs> faster, um, yeah. and uh, ask us a question, and we will go all in on it. But until next time, dear listener. Stay vigilant. I feel like Julian Assange. I'm on the way for the ornament. Sipping my tea, smoking guns. I'm gonna go hide if they want me. I'm deep in my soul like Salah. I'm what they call an anomaly. Demons don't know I'm a hundred me. They getting all the truth out of me. Keeping my distance. I don't feel resistance. I'm building resistance. I'm not a civilian. Play that for they get. Be quiet for they hear. Your paraphernalia. I'm after the mess. I got a plan. Play them and beat them in their game. They keep the truth out the mainframe. I've been ten toes on my A game. Not many doing the same thing. Shorty, give me a massage. I feel like
Julian Assange. I'm chosen, I'm giving a job. I hide the message when I'm rhyming. Divine, perfect timing. I made so rose quotes with the diamonds. Me and the stars been aligning. Different powers, I'm combining them all. Free the slaves, I don't care what it costs. Way before this, I was dead, I was lost. I'm aware of all the lines that I cross. Now I ain't stopping till I lay in my coffin. Found my purpose, I was ready to offer. Money all black, you think it's golf. This music, my weapon, it's more than a hobby. It's more than a paycheck, it's more than a lollyhood. And they ain't ever really think you could. Stay in the shadows, I'm in the cut. I'm off a wood of like in the cut. Shove your opinions right up your tunnel vision, bro. I didn't ask. I've been the villains, don't look at the mask. Looking forward only for the past. Do I feel like Julian the size? I'm out the way for the on me. Sipping my tea, smoking guys. I'm gonna go hot if they wanted me. I'm deep in my soul like Salah. I'm what they call an anomaly. Demons don't know I'm a hundred me. They getting all the truth out of me. Still, I wonder why. Why? Football, we six sense, it's getting intense. They names I won't mention. I'm feeling intense. Shut you from a henchman, putting pressure. I'm gonna practice my second amendment. Body the 30th of November. I cannot help but remember. I was young, little simple. I was tripping till it ended. I don't care who gets offended. I'm on a mission till I vend it. Fuck all that Gucci, that Fendi shit. It's bigger than physical, let me say it. They holding your pockets, I've been saying. We looking for answers, the streets praying. Fuck down on Trump and what he's saying. I ain't settling with decent. I might need a proxy, kill pain like I. Except they don't like me Open no pine, yo Don't let them find you Like I remind you They had it from you With their mind, do. They spending money to blind you I'm not the same, I remind you Take a quick look at what life do We asking for change But ain't putting change I get in this vibe The days that it rain My heart full of gold Transcended from pain Our planet is falling Who's really to blame? This shit getting real This life is in the game I'm serving my calling I said for the fame I'm shaking some shit When they don't hear my name Still I wonder why, why